morning. My name is Billy Waters, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, some of you might have heard, maybe you didn't, but there was a small group of us that were going to be leaving for Israel tomorrow. Uh, so we are obviously not going. Um, but uh, it's sad, but it's not nearly as sad as the travesty that's happening in the Middle East right now. And so I just want to address a few things and then take some time to pray. First is the targeting of innocent children, the targeting of anybody innocent, schools, it's evil. And in the words of one of our staff members, when, they, when she was asked, who then ought, should we pray for, the response is the person that Jesus died for. So who is that? We pray for terrorist groups, that they will come to know Jesus that they will have a vision of the resurrected Christ. We pray for Boko Haram in Nigeria and Chad and Cameroon. We pray for Nigerians to come to know Jesus. We pray for the church in Nigeria that they would stand fast. We pray for ISIS, that they would come to know Jesus. We pray for Hamas, that they would come to know Jesus. We pray for the Palestinians. We pray for Israel. We pray for the resurrected Christ to be lifted up over all of this evil and that those that do not know Christ will come to know him. Third, we do have an enemy, but the scriptures are clear. Our enemy is not against flesh and blood. Our enemy is against the powers and principalities of this dark world. And if there's anything that we learned from the book of Daniel is that we are called to intercede on behalf of others, and there are spiritual forces, and those demonic activities and forces that are coming against us, Satan is our true enemy. So how do we respond? We pray that strongholds will be ripped down and that King Jesus will be lifted up above all things. That's what we pray for. In the midst of it all, his sovereignty, his rule, his reign will be exalted. So with that, let's just pray. We do come before you, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, and our heart is broken for the things that are happening in the Middle East and around the world. We ask, Jesus, that you be lifted up. Also for the churches that are in these places, Lord, strengthen the church, we pray. Bring your justice, bring your peace, bring your love. And Lord, may we as a church not be sleeping, but be fervent in prayer. And Jesus, in all things, our hearts long for the day that when you will rend the heavens, come down, and that you will restore new heavens, new earth, you will make all that is wrong and bring your righteousness. We look forward to that day, and it's in the strong name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. We have launched into a sermon series through the book of Philippians, and there's a couple reasons why. The first reason is that um, we can't say that Paul had a favorite church. He had a favorite church, and it was probably the church at Philippi. I mean, you look at the church at Philippi. When, when Paul was in his darkest hour, this was the community that he turned toward. And for those that were coming alongside of him, supporting him, encouraging him, and not just him in the church plants that took place around um, Asia Minor, but also for the caring for the poor in Jerusalem, the church of Philippi surrounded Paul, and there was a partnership in the gospel. So when Paul is in a dire situation, when he's in a dark moment, who does he turn to? The church of Philippi. So there's a partnership within the gospel. Um, but the second reason why we're doing this is because we have, um, and you've, if you've been here around here for the past couple weeks, you know that we're engaging in six big objectives. Um, one of those objectives was three services. Okay, check. Next objective was that we're going to do a major renovation of this property. There was a gift given in, this, in the, um, in the uh, site or in the 
in the way of a, of a project donated uh, to this community. We're going to have a renovated parking lot, new playground. There's going to be an expanded foyer, new elevator, a lot of work that's being done, and it's exciting. Another objective is we're going to be planting a church on Resurrection Sunday 2024. That's no small task. That's a big deal. It's a big objective. Another objective is we're going to raise up occupational pastors, leaders, church planters, missionaries to be sent out. And can you imagine in the next 10 years from this community, 150 leaders being sent out? That's a big objective. But here's the thing. We can be so focused on these objectives, so focused on key performance indicators, vision, the things that God, we feel like, has called us into during this next season. We can become so focused on vision that we actually miss the most important thing of all. What is that? What is the thing that we need? What does the hour call for? That's why we're going through the book of Philippians, because the book of Philippians answers that question. What do we need more than anything? And what is the soil that vision and objectives and all of those things, godly ambitions spring from? What is the soil? Philippians tells us. So what is the thing that we need most? Or put it in the other way. If we accomplish all of these objectives... Accomplish the key performance indicators. Accomplish the vision. But if we don't do this, we miss the most important thing. What is it? Book of Philippians, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people, or translated saints, in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul calls himself a doulos, a servant, but he calls the church saints or holy people. This word, holy people or saints, gets repeated throughout Paul's epistles over 60 times in the words of Gordon Fee. 60 times. So when Paul's thinking about the church, when Paul's thinking about the people of God, he refers to them as saints. Now, if I was to ask you the question, do you think of yourself primarily as a saint or a sinner? What would you say? Now, is it true that we sin and fall short of the glory of God? Absolutely. But what is the truest thing about you? You are a saint because you have been bought by his blood, that you have been redeemed by the work of Christ, you have been empowered by the Holy Spirit, and your destiny is the new heavens and the new earth, which means you're a saint. That's the truest thing about you. Now, how is that possible? How could we be called saints? Verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you. Why? In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why? Verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. What brings Paul joy? What allows him just to just erupt in a praise chorus of thanksgiving? It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we can accomplish all of the visions, all of the objectives, but if we miss the gospel, we miss the most important thing of all. Now, somebody has said, why do you continue to talk about the gospel? Because, because we need the gospel in high definition and everything else in analog. Like, it is the gospel. Everything is based on the gospel. The great promises that you see in the book of Philippians all spring from the gospel. Popular passages, by the way. Very quotable. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Where does that come from? The gospel. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything through prayer and petition. Why can we pray that and be free from anxiety? I'm not talking about clinical anxiety, but the kind of anxiety of living in a world that we live in. Where does that spring from? The gospel. He who began a good work will carry it on to completion. How can we say that with confidence? The gospel. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Why can we rejoice? It's the gospel. 
It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the soil that we have joy spring from. All of the fruit of the Spirit come from the gospel. What is the gospel? Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. The gospel is the work of Jesus. It's the person of Jesus. And when Paul turns in his darkest hour to the church, he turns to the church in Philippi. Why? Because it was this church that was most entrenched, most grounded in the gospel. It was the generosity that sprung from Philippi that came from the gospel. A life of joy and thanksgiving, it came from the gospel. And I want to apply that to us today because the motivation for everything that we do here is the gospel. Why do we get, whether it's a dollar, whether it's $10, whether it's $10 million, it, all of the generosity, it's not, it's not guilt, it's not shame, it's not a slick presentation, it's not a big banner, it's not a great slide deck. The motivation for giving is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the motivation. That's the motivation for everything that we do. Why do we serve? Why do we, why do we volunteer in the nursery? Why do we serve down in the well? Why do we give ourselves? Because the motivation comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And the reason why this is important it's because we live in a world, the point is this, we live in a world where anxiety is increasing. And if anxiety increases, God, from our perspective, will get very small. The more tasks that we assume, the less of God that we have in our life because we've, we've crowded him out. And the more that our tasks, the more that our anxieties become a reality in our life instead of Jesus Christ, Christ died, Christ risen, Christ will come again. And when that takes place, when the budget becomes more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to have a budget, but a budget that comes from the gospel. And if we fix our eyes on the budget, we lose the most important thing of all. Dallas Willard says, what you focus on will become your reality. Now, we need to be wise. We need to do the wise thing. But what, where does wisdom come from? It comes from Jesus. And there's a temptation within the church that when we become careless, then we become distracted. When we, when we become distracted, we begin to forget. When we forget, we go into disobedience, and disobedience then leads to the abandonment of God in its entirety. And this can happen within ministries, it can happen within churches, and especially the longer that the ministry of the church goes, the easier and the easier it is to forget our first love. And what is our first, who is our first love? It's Jesus. So never forget the gospel. When Paul, at the end of his life, I mean, he is like days, weeks, months from his death. And he's recalling back all the things that have taken place through him in regards to the ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul did quite a bit of stuff. He planted some churches. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, which is, which is pretty good. He was an apostle. But at the end of his life, when he's about to pass the baton of faith to the next generation, when he's talking to Timothy, he doesn't go to the churches that he's planted. He doesn't go to the books that he's written. He doesn't talk about his notoriety or fame. He doesn't talk about any of those things. What does Paul focus in on in his last day? What does he pass on to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 8? He says, remember, remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. The gospel has to be in high depth, everything else analog. That's the point. The central theme of the book of Philippians is the gospel. Everything flows from that. So if that's the case, what is our role? Or what is the invitation for us as the church? Verses four through six. 
In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, knowing that he will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, carrying on to completion is not just our transformation in him, but he's talking about the mission, the mission that the Lord has for the church at Philippi, and that takes place through the partnership in the gospel. So the invitation for us is to experience that kind of partnership. And so when Paul thinks back, again, we can't say he had a favorite church, but he did. At this, it was the Philippians. It was them. Why? Because we know that when the, the church of Philippi was planted in his second missionary journey, probably around uh, early 50s, mid-50s, um, he did an incredible work there. The church was started. He had to go on uh, to another town to plant a church. Now, but actually, even before he went to Philippi, he wanted to go to Asia, and the Holy Spirit said, uh-uh. Then he went tried to go to Bithynia, and the Holy Spirit again said, nope. So then he goes to the church of Philippi, plants the church, gets run out, and then plants another church in Thessalonica. When he runs, out and runs into trouble there, he reaches out, and who comes to his aid? It's the church of Philippi. They raise the money to continue to support his missionary work there. Um, after the second missionary journey is completed, he goes on to the third missionary journey. One of the purposes or goals of that was to collect funds for the poor in Jerusalem. Who was the church that was um, the model church for sacrificial giving? It was the church in Philippi. In fact, we know so because in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it says they gave generously. Why? Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he who be, was poor became rich so that we who are rich could become, so he that was rich could become poor. The motivation was the gospel. And so he collects all of this money, and then he gives it to the poor in Jerusalem. We know then he goes on to Caesarea, is in prison for a couple years, goes up to Rome, then he's imprisoned, and right before he dies, the church in Philippi sends Epaphroditus to encourage Paul, and Epaphroditus almost dies along the way. I mean, the church in Philippi continues to give to Paul in his darkest hour, and that's why Paul says, you are with me partners in the gospel. We are here today as partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just want to say, thank you. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel here. And I want to apply this specifically to us. Because, you know, when you're a smaller church, when we planted the church like 22 years ago, we, like, we started like, like 25 people. And like if Helen lost her job, our budget went down like by 25%. And if somebody, like my wife, didn't show up to, to do the children's, like we just shut the whole thing down. Because we didn't have anybody. So, so when somebody didn't show up or somebody didn't you know, help out or give or whatever, like it, it impacted the church. But what happens is whether it's a growing organization or whether it's a growing church, the, the more that it grows, the more that we can feel like we're disconnected and our vote really doesn't count. And I want to say that, that's, that even though that dynamic is real, it's not, it's not real real. <laughs> um, your vote counts. Your presence matters. What you do here, because we are partners in the gospel, makes all the difference in the world because what you do here permeates the entire ministry and community at Wellspring. It does. I, I, a couple weeks ago, I walked into Chris Binkley's office, who's our chief admin officer or chief officer of the He works here, and he was double counting the, the money, the, and, and, and he had a bag of pennies, and he was counting each penny, making sure that each penny was right. And I was just moved so deeply because every penny matters. It's so easy when you're on a board of seven to say, yeah, my vote matters. But when you're in a country of like 330 million people, it's very easy to say, well, my vote really doesn't count. But I'll say in the church of Jesus Christ, your vote counts. 
Your presence matters. We need everybody aligned on the same page to be partners in the gospel. John Ortberg uses this powerful illustration when he was going to the Galapagos with his father. The tour guide uh, showed all the fauna, the animals, the critters, and you know, just all the little things that were in the Galapagos. And it really captured, captured his imagination. And then he pointed out to a particular kind of beetle, not any kind of a beetle, but a specific kind of beetle. And he says, if this beetle ever grows extinct, in the next 20 years, the entire ecosystem of the Galapagos will implode. Now, you don't go to the Galapagos to see the little beetle. You go to the Galapagos to see other fauna, other critters, other animals. But if one little thing goes away, it impacts the entire ecosystem. So it is with the church. We need you here. Your presence matters. And you have the ability, because of what Christ has given you, to impact and to permeate this entire community, this family. That's why Jesus uses the illustration of the three seas of flour and the little bit of yeast. Three seas, 60 pounds of flour, little bit of yeast. Somebody did the calculation? That is one unit of yeast, 373 units of flour. And one little unit of yeast permeates the entire batch of dough. So it is with your contribution. So it is with your serving. So it is with your volunteering. So it is with you being a part of this community. That's the power of partnership in the gospel. And that's the theme of the book of Philippians. Partnership in the gospel. Now what does this provide us? What are the implications for the partnership in the gospel for the community? There's three things that Paul highlights in chapter 1, verses 3 through 11. Thanksgiving for one another, intimacy with one another, and an ultimate purpose. Thanksgiving, intimacy, and purpose. First, thanksgiving. When we partnership in the gospel, it does something within our hearts that awakens us to a life of gratitude. We live in a world that is cynical and is bitter and is always critiquing and comparing. And that doesn't lead to thanksgiving and gratitude. It leads to cynicism and bitterness. And C.S. Lewis says that if we take the pleasures that we experience in this world, but especially within the body of Christ, those pleasures become a channel of adoration that allows us to drink from the fountainhead of joy. Did you get that? When we experience the pleasures within the community, we respond with channels of adoration that plugs us into the fountainhood of God's joy, grace, our souls expand. But when we are critical, bitter, complaining, our, shrol, our souls shrink to the same size as us. But when we respond in gratitude to the pleasures and the gifts of this world, we tap into the fountainhood of his glory and grace. Do you see the difference? To be a church, a partnership in the gospel, means that we respond with thanksgiving, which expands our soul to be in the presence of God's glory, his grace, and his mercy. But to the extent that we don't do that, our soul shrinks. David Murray says, praising others does not come easily to human nature. We like to receive praise, but not give it. Criticizing comes much easier because we feel more comfortable looking down on people. Praising involves looking up in admiration, and our necks and egos tend to creak and ache when we attempt it. 
Affirmation is also discouraged by powerful societal trends, cynicism, distrust, suspicion, negativity, envy, political strife, bad news at home and abroad, all combined to chill our hearts and shrink our souls. Complaining, comparison, criticism shrinks our souls. Responding to the pleasures within community, with channels of admiration and gratitude and thanksgiving, we end up in the fountainhead of God's glory, goodness, and joy. That's why Paul says in verse 3, I thank my God every time I remember you. He is swimming in the fountainhead of grace right now. And that's what happens to a church that embraces partnership in the gospel. We will be a community of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for one another, but secondly, intimacy with one another. Verse 7 and 8. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. That is an intimate phrase. Spouses, when you say, I have you in my heart, that is so intimate. There's, there's nothing more close than that. And that's what Paul says about this church. Since I have you in my heart... And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. There's deep intimacy because they're sharing in the gospel. That's the power. When we're, when we're stacking hands with one another, we're linking arms. To be friends, to be community, we have to be, we have to be a part of something that's bigger than the community. I told you before, my, you know, my son uh, was in the Air Force Academy. He graduated from there. He played on the football team. And if you do those two things, you're called a, you're a part of the Bolt Brotherhood. I said, Ben, I want to be a part of the Bolt Brotherhood. He says, you can't. Because you, 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 didn't, you didn't do what we did. We had a common mission, and you weren't a part of it. So you can't be a part of the Bolt Brotherhood. <laughs> but there was an intimacy that they have. I tell you what, there's something even more intimate than the Bolt Brotherhood, and it's called the Church of Jesus Christ. That when we align ourselves with the common mission, the mission to see all things made new because of what Christ has done through the power of the Spirit, there is no greater mission than that. And that we as the church have the opportunity to be partners in the gospel for the sake of this eternal, you know, global vision. And yet that's what he's inviting us into. You can't have a friendship, you can't have a community unless we are part of a vision and a mission that is far greater than just ourselves. C.S. Lewis says it best. The very condition of having friends is that we should want something besides friends. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, would be, I see nothing and I don't care about truth. I only want a friend. No friendship can arise. There would be nothing for this friendship to be about, and friendship must be about something, even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. Got to be Something. Those who have nothing can share nothing. Those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. The point is this, that what partnership in the gospel does when we have a shared mission, what it does is it not only gives us thanksgiving for one another, but also intimacy with one another and something that nothing else does. That's the power. Lastly, it gives us an ultimate purpose. And that's in verses 9 through 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ Jesus, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, this intimate prayer, he does three things. He gives them a what, 
a how and a why. What is the prayer? It's that their love would abound more and more, that their knowledge would be filled up. They would be filled with the fruit of righteousness and that they would have discernment. That's the what. What is the how? It's through Jesus Christ. But then he gives them a why. Why? What is the purpose? To the glory and praise of God. That's why we have a partnership in the gospel. That's why we are ambitious. Not for selfish ambition, but for God ambition. And the difference between the two is telos. What is the end goal? What is the result? Selfish ambition always seeks to build self up. Self-aggrandizement, looking down our nose at other people so that we feel better about ourselves. Why is it that we do the things that we do? If it's to build self up, self-promotion, to make a name for ourselves. That's selfish ambition. Listen, the reason why we do what we do here is not to make a name for ourselves, not to make a name for Wellspring or whatever. It's to glorify King Jesus. Why do we have our vision? Why do we have our objectives? Why do we have to glorify King Jesus? And that comes out of the gospel. There is a distinction between selfish ambition and God am- godly ambition. And the difference is tell us. I love the Moravian statement. I've said this before, but preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. Why? Because God is glorified, not us. We're going to sing a song at the very beginning of communion. I love this line. It says, let the glory of your name be the passion of the church. Let the glory of your name, King Jesus, be the passion of the church. And when God is the, his glory is the ultimate purpose for why, why we do ministry, then it frees us up. Then it like just releases us from the pressure to perform. It releases us from the pressure to, to, to be a certain thing. It also releases from us the, 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 the desire to cover. We can be fully vulnerable, give ourselves to the other, because ultimately it's not about us. It's about the glory of King Jesus. It frees us up to serve and give. Jamie Smith, in his book, On the Road with St. Augustine, says about ambition, he makes a distinction. Resting in the love of God doesn't squelch ambition. It fuels it with a different fire. I don't have to strive to get God to love me. Rather, because God loves me unconditionally, I am free to take risks and launch out into the deep. I'm released to aspire to use my gifts in gratitude. There it is, thanksgiving. Caught up in God's mission, his mission, For the sake of the world, when you've been found, you're free to fail. When you've been found, you're free to fail. We've been found. That's the gospel. So therefore, everything that we do can be for the glory of his name. Partnership in the gospel. And the implications for the partnership in the gospel for us as the church is that we have thanksgiving for one another, intimacy with one another, and that we are caught up in a purpose that far exceeds anything that we can ask or imagine. It's the kingdom of God. Let's pray.